Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Follow Matt at Williamson NFL. And of course, you can subscribe to this show on all of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Tell a friend about Locked On NFL. Let them know that all of their teams are covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Matt, I always like when you send me a spreadsheet doing work behind the scenes. We've talked a lot about things that are big parts of winning football games in the NFL. We talk about special teams from time to time. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about turnovers. So I'm very interested to get into that. We have some news as well to touch on. First, uh, let's start quarterbacks. I think we've talked a lot about Phillip Rivers this offseason, but now there is some hard news and looks like it's official that he's going to move on from the Los Angeles Chargers and there's mutual interest for those two parties to part. And there's a very good chance we're going to see Philip Rivers. I mean, he wants to play. It seems like he's got a little fire in his belly still. What team does he play for? Legitimate is the word that I've seen thrown around as the interest between maybe both Rivers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I think that's the news of the last 24 hours is both team and player have said, I'm not going to be a charger. So we're moving on with the quarterback position, presumably through the draft, but who's to say they still have Tyrod Taylor in place. Um, They drafted Easton Stick, who has a little bit of upside, somebody to think about in this process. But Rivers is really the story. We knew we know that he moved his gigantic family family to Florida already. That doesn't mean he's going to 100% play for a Florida team, but believe it or not, some tampering does exist and some conversations do exist, even though before the free agency period really happens. And maybe there is mutual interest between Rivers and the Bucks, And I could see why. I mean, there's pieces in place there, including the head coach that I think would be appealing to Rivers. But I wonder, I mean, is he... Is he turn in the position to be turning down jobs or I mean, are they gonna be does he have a long list of suitors? He's old, he's not gonna be cheap, he hasn't played great, but I do think a change of scenery could do wonders, and we'll see. I tend to think that it's not gonna go well and that his career is pretty much about done, but he's been a, a favorite of mine, and I think getting out of that situation could be interesting. And I think the Bucks are really interesting. The Buccaneers are interesting, and this report from ESPN's Jenna Lane also confirmed that the Bucs are not just interested in Phillip Rivers, and that is legitimate interest, but they're interested in Tom Brady, Drew Brees. I mean, I guess who wouldn't be if you're looking for a good quarterback, especially if you're Bruce Arians at the end of your career. Who cares if you get an old quarterback if they can still play for another year or two? Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill, so... That signals to me that the Jameis Winston era is done in Tampa at the very least. It says they're also taking closer looks at Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. So the Buccaneers massively in the quarterback market. Now they got to find a match, someone who's actually going to be available to them and then go get that player. Right. And for them to come out and say they are interested doesn't exactly scream that, boy, we're in love with Winston. And I thought Winston and Arians were a pretty good match. And I'm a bit of a Winston apologist in that over the last several years, his line has been below average. That's probably kind. 
His running game has been awful, frankly. I mean, maybe the worst in the league over the last two, three year stretch in you know for an extended period of time. And I often talk about him too in that his difficulty, degree of difficulty of throw is probably the highest in the league as well. I mean, average depth of target, the types of throws he's asked to make. So all those things to me add up to turnovers, especially because he's the gasoline in that he doesn't value the football either. I mean, that's the obvious negative with the guy, but everything else is positive. Like he does a lot of good things. Like you want Jameis Winston as your fantasy quarterback. This guy produces. I like his mentality. I think he's improved in every aspect except for turning the ball over. But what if he gave him a running game and reeled him in a little bit? Like, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that they he still could be a, a pretty good starting quarterback with the right system. Can you reel him in, though? That's the big question. I and I have a feeling Tampa's going to show up when we talk about these uh, turnovers. And, yeah, a big part of that is Jameis Winston. So that's an interesting a scenario because we had talked about on this podcast that a domino needs to fall and that's two dominoes. If the chargers lose their franchise quarterback and yeah. the Buccaneers lose their franchise quarterback, get replaced by say Phil Philip rivers. Now there has to be some movement and we could see a lot of drastic changes around the NFL with the quarterback position. So we're not done talking about quarterbacks here, uh, not by uh, a long shot because it's going to be one of the big themes this off season. Another one we have not talked about that I want to touch on really quick here, Matt is Taysom Hill, and he said he believes he's a franchise yeah. quarterback and he's looking for that opportunity above all. And he said specifically about the Saints, do I want to leave? The matter of fact is no, but as you look at free agency, you have to find the right opportunity for you. You have to find the situation to take care of your family. I want to play quarterback in this league. If New Orleans don't view me that way, then I have to leave. Interesting. It is interesting, and... He's a very intriguing player. He sees himself as a quarterback, of course. Sean Payton, I don't want to put words in his mouth, has basically come out and said, I think he's Steve Young, you know, which, wow. wow you know, yeah. I mean, but he's he said those type of words about Hill. We look at him as a long-term quarterback. But then they went and signed Teddy Bridgewater, you know, to big money. So they didn't exactly give him a ringing endorsement in terms of being the number two last year. The... I, I think, you know, every, I'm sure a lot of eyes are on Baltimore and say, why don't we make Taysom Hill our Lamar Jackson and structure an offense around a running quarterback? It Look how well it worked. And I think I was on a, on a, a guest on a different podcast the other day, and we were talking about that a little bit. And I said, I could picture a scenario where in 2022, Four, five, six offenses look like the Ravens does now. You know, maybe it's Carolina or teams that are in transition. And that bodes well for Hill. I mean, sure, he would do that well. No one is Lamar. I mean, in terms of just he's a different style of runner. He's not going to stop, start, and do the Lamar things. But he can run the ball and throw the ball. But here's a fact about Hill, though. He's 29, and he has not touched the ball in an NFL game 300 times yet total. I mean, so are you going to structure an offense around him? And can he throw an out? You know, can he throw a comeback? Right. You know, I don't know. I mean, I would not put a lot of eggs in that basket, especially as a 29-year-old. And the thing about Hill, like, where are you going to go? Why would you leave because you're just going to be a backup somewhere else? You're already in the perfect situation because you have a coach that right. believes in you you're behind a really great 
quarterback to learn from who's not going to be playing for that much longer. So you have a path to playing. I think the best place for him to potentially even start at quarterback is probably with the Saints, especially if Teddy Bridgewater leaves. We've seen how Drew Brees has gotten hurt. You might start this season. You're not getting a starting job anywhere else. I don't think he's getting a starting job anywhere else. And in the meantime, you at least see the field. You're very relevant. The whole world knows who you are. You make big plays. You probably win a lot of games. But he may have thought that a year ago, and then they went and got Teddy. You know, like, just because Teddy leaves doesn't mean they won't go sign Mariota. Or, you know what I mean? Like, maybe he's already been down that road and thinks, I am 29. I can't wait two more years for Drew to leave. But I don't see a fit either. I mean, what if you were to – what if Chicago or – Carolina was the structure of their offense with Newton and or Trubisky in a Ravens like fashion and bring in Hill to complement the Newton Trubisky type. I mean, I'm stretching. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I I could see that, I guess. But you know what I would like to see if he does stay in New Orleans is more of him getting a chance to play on the field without Drew Brees, because usually he's a gadget guy. He comes on the field. You have Drew Brees still on the field with you. Add a playmaker with him. Let him. Right. Or another blocker. Right. Or another blocker. Right, right. So (laughs) allow the offense to be through him, not just this weird thing where you roll the quarterback out and and he's a wasted player. But see the offense with Taysom Hill. Truly, that would be a fun wrinkle and maybe even save a few snaps for Drew Brees, who, you know, probably would be good for him to not play a full load of snaps pretty much every year for the rest of his career. Yeah, At his age, I think that makes sense. When this whole experiment started, I said, boy, that's nice. And I understand they average more yards per play when Taysom Hill takes the snap than when Breeze takes a snap because it's also a very small sample size. But when it happened, I'm like, why is it a good idea to not snap the ball to Drew Breeze? You know, like, when it's, this is nice and <laughs> right. all, but shouldn't you snap the ball to Drew Breeze? You know, it, but now, to your point, if it saves him five throws a game and two hits and it's one series or something like that. And he's a little fresher for the playoffs. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I would listen to that. All right. We got to move on here, Matt. There is some more. Oh, news. One more quick note. I oh, just sure. want to throw out there. This Quentin Dunbar note from the skins, the skins. Asked, he said he wants to get traded or cut. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but he was a very, very highly graded corner by pro football focus. And it passed the eyeball test this year, even though he's not a big name player. And the fact is they're probably going to cut Josh Norman. He's their only good corner. So it's kind of like the Trent Williams situation. Like all your good players don't want to play for you. Well, you know what they say? You can request a trade in one hand and you know what in the other hand to see which one (laughs) fills up faster. So I don't know if the Redskins want to give up any of their good players right now. Good point. And there's a new coach, so it might be a little more appealing. Yeah, and there's also been talk that Trent Williams is supposed to meet, and there's at least been some communications, and they're going to have a face-to-face at some point, try to mend that fence. I think Ron Rivera is a good person to bring in to try to mend some of those fences, and he would seem to be a guy that that some of these players might want to play for once they do meet. I think so. I mean, I think he's – not that Gruden was bad, but Rivera is a professional guy that's won games, and I think the culture will be a little better. Yeah, there's a level of respect there that I think that he commands when he walks into a room, and we'll see if that turns into W's for Washington. But uh, it it definitely seems like personnel-wise, just you know, man-to-man, it seems like it will be a better situation there. Yes, I agree. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk turnovers. There's actually another bit of news that I want to throw by you, Matt, coming up. Okay.
Okay, Matt, a couple of things. Uh, one, there was a report, and it sounds like this was a report from a radio guy that shouldn't be taken too seriously, but it was that the Chicago Bears are willing to listen to offers for a guy they just traded a bunch for in Khalil Mack, that he is available for two first-rounders and two second-rounders. To me, when I saw this report, I was like, oh, wow, okay. But then I was like, wait a second. Isn't that more than they gave up to get him in the first place? And how many players in the league aren't available for two first-rounders and two second-rounders? Right. Is he more valuable now than he was two years ago? I tend to think not. He's two years older. I don't know that he's a worse player, but I'm not saying he's a dramatically better player, but he's older. And you would inherit that contract. I mean, the, the Bears had to negotiate with him when they traded for him. You've also heard a lot of rumblings that Leonard Floyd could get traded, which would make a lot more sense. You can't do both, and Mac is clearly the much better player. But I'm kind of with you on this. I mean, this is a whole – maybe there's a puff of smoke. I'm not sure how much fire there is. But unless you're Mahomes or Watson or somebody like that, two firsts and two seconds pretty much gets it done for just about anybody. Right, yeah. So. I mean, I have no doubt he's available for two firsts and two seconds. I mean, right, and, and right. he's got a cap hit of $26 million or so for five more years through 2023. So, I mean, it's not that you're trying to trade a player like that, but if someone calls you up, if you're a GM, someone calls you and says, hey, I've got two firsts and two seconds. You're like, okay, I'm listening. You're like, my roster's wide open. Who do you want to talk about here? Including Khalil Mack. And not that they're trying to trade him, but some of those reports you see this time in the offseason, and who knows, maybe he is talking to somebody in the front office. It's like, well, yeah, of course, everybody's available for two firsts and two seconds, unless your name is, you know, Patrick Mahomes and a few others. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, Unless maybe it's Kansas City or San Francisco or someone picking extremely late that you think will be really good again next year. I mean, what would you rather have? Two first, two seconds, and $26 million in cap space or Khalil Mack? And how many people even have $26 million in cap space, period? Right. Which is probably well, the re- fair amount at this point, but it'll drive quick. Right, that'll drive quickly. And that's probably the reason why the Bears are thinking, man, we we want to do this and this in free agency We've got a lot of money tied up in this one position. If we can get a ton of draft picks, maybe we would think about doing something like that. But yeah, uh, some of those reports, it's just you take those with a grain of salt. But I thought that one was just kind of kind of funny. It stood out to me. Maybe their thought is we need to create the cap space to sign Brady or a quarterback. I mean, that's a, the, the, the logical progression if they are considering. Yeah, that. you know, I didn't really think about that. They're like, oh, man, Tom Brady is willing to come to Chicago. At that point, you're like, man, we got to create any kind of space that we can. So Mm -hmm. that's an interesting angle. I didn't even think about that, Matt. That's a good call. Could be. Who knows? Ian Rappaport. This is a big one for the NFL draft, and we've talked a lot about Tua, and there's medical checks and then rechecks to come, and we'll learn a lot at the Combine, I'm sure, and then closer to the draft in April. But Ian Rappaport said that the three-month CT scan for Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa was as positive as possible, sources say. The fracture has healed The hip and its range of motion is good. It'll likely be another month before he's cleared for football activities, though, as expected. But that's, I mean, if he's cleared for football activities before the draft, that is massive. That's massive. I mean, if you could actually see him do something at a late pro day or something along those lines, I'm sure he won't do anything at the combine other than medical and interviews. But it's probably step one of the ball rolling in a positive way for Tua. I'm sure that'll really pick up steam at the combine. And then there'll be another late, ch- you know, late check for the injured guys at the combine. If he gets a clean bill of health, then for all thirty-two teams, and you actually see a pro day, and there's talk that he could play in the preseason. I think then the conversation is, will he go second overall? 
right? Who's willing to pay? How much they're willing to pay? And and how far can a team move up if Washington's willing to move down? You know, the Lions are in that prime spot; they're willing to move. So uh, that'll get very exciting. There's a couple of things to this that the I Lions thought about. are the ones rooting for two himself. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they've got a lot to gain. The Lions could move from three to five, then move again from five out if another team wants to move up, still stay in the top 10, still get a great player. I mean, the Lions are in a fantastic position right now. Sometimes you you just get a little bit lucky. I'm thinking about this. So where is Rappaport getting his information? So if you're Tua's people, I mean, you're selling the best possible outcome, right? So if you're Tua's agent, right. of course it's the best possible CT scan ever. He could have no hip left and he'd be like, oh man, hey, C- CT scan looks great, man. Looks fantastic. Yeah. And then there's going to be 32 other doctors for each team looking at this player. And when we get close to the draft, you're going to hear people say, oh, so-and-so team doesn't like the medical for Tua. They're out. And they could be trying to just tell teams, you know, send a smoke screen, even though they really love Tua, but they don't like his medical. So there's going to be a ton of smoke when it comes to Tua's medical. So we're going to have to wade through all of the, the real and the fake medical reports about him coming up to the draft. That's a great point because... I just said this is about the time of the year where that ball starts to roll in a positive manner for him. But it's also that time of year where I don't believe much that I read. Right. <laughs> yeah, it does get close to that. <laughs> it does get very close. It gets to the point where you can tell the truth if you're an NFL GM because nobody will believe it. Oh, right. You can be like, we absolutely love him. Like, they wouldn't say that if he really did. <laughs> yeah, so they must hate him. <laughs> <laughs> right. It does get to that point. All right, let's talk turnovers next. All right, Matt, we got a spreadsheet here. We're talking turnover margin, missed field goals, and fourth down failures, all basically turnovers, right, in your mind. And breaking this down in a team-by-team, uh, ranking them all the way down for turnover differential here. Did you? Let, let's just start with this. Why did you want to put this together, and what was your main takeaway? Yeah, I think people might remember a show we did not long ago, and it was maybe week 15-ish, late in the year where I combined normal turnover margin with field goals missed. And that's kind of, that's not my, my new idea by any stretch. The logic is if it's fourth and three and you choose to kick a field goal and you miss it, you hand the ball over to the opponent, much like you would have the, the down before on third and three, if the, you fumbled the snap and they fell on the ball, you know, I mean, it, it really just, it's just, it's really no different than throwing an interception and they return it, what, seven yards past the line of scrimmage where you hand them the ball on the, as a field goal. So I've gone over that before with the audience. And if you're new, um, sorry to catch up to speed a little bit, but it's, it's kind of a widely regarded thing that a missed field goal is basically the same thing as a turnover. Well, it got me to thinking, well, if that's true, you know, that, that, that's a negative. You miss a field goal, 10 of them, that comes off your, your turnover margin. Well, what about opponents' field goal misses? I mean, shouldn't they be positives then? You know, if I'm playing against you and you miss a field goal and you hand me the ball at the 45-yard line, isn't that a positive? I mean, so I th- I went and I dug those numbers up. Actually, I didn't. I'll tell you who did in a minute. <laughs> and then I started thinking, and this really dawned on me in the Ravens' playoff loss. Like the playoff loss, they turned the ball over three times, but they went for it on fourth and short twice. And for the first time all year, they failed. So in reality, to me, the Ravens turned the ball over against the Titans five times. I mean, if it's fourth and one on your own 45 and you decide to go for it instead of punt it and you don't get it, 
why is that different than if you fumbled the play before through an interception the play before? So I also put fourth down failures in this chart. And then I thought, well, let's think the same thing. If the opponent fails on fourth down, they gave you a gift. I mean, you had something to do with it. So I'm no analytics expert by any stretch of the imagination, and but I can add and subtract. <laughs> and that's all I had to do in these categories. So I mentioned it to our buddy, Mike Sando, who's a good friend of the show. And he's much better with spreadsheets and getting information than I did. And a couple hours later, he sent me back the spreadsheet with all the information for this past year on it, adding them all up. And we, we called it advanced turnover differential, which basically what it is, is turnover margin minus your field goals missed, plus your opponent field goals missed, minus your fourth down failures plus your opponent's fourth down failures to come up with advanced turnover differential, we called it. We call it whatever you want. Call it locked on NFL turnover differential if you want. So I have those numbers, and I thought it was an interesting way of looking at it. And the last note before we dig into them, the one aspect of it that I believe and Football Outsiders has for years is luck is opponent missed field goal. Like, Chances are I didn't do anything to make your kicker miss the kick. I was just lucky that he shanked it. So all these other things factor into your team. And then I think the opponent missed field goal category is basically luck. There's a lot of luck involved. You can't, sometimes you can't make a quarterback throw you the ball. You can't predict the way a ball is going to bounce on a fumble. So turnovers, there is some luck involved, but I think when you look at a full season and combine everything, then you start to filter out some of the luck and and sometimes you make your own luck. And I'm not surprised. You talk about a team that's really good special teams, really good in turnover Mm -hmm. differential year to year. I'm not surprised about the team that's on top here. Yeah, and and to to put a little history behind it, I did this last year after the season just with turnover margin and missed field goals. And – the two teams that were hurt the most last year were the Vikings and Steelers. And if you remember, they were basically the seventh seed in the NFC and the AFC. So if Boswell and the myriad of Vikings kickers would have been a little better last year, I believe the Vikes and Steelers would have got in. So that was one thing that kind of keyed me onto this, that, you know, that there's something to be said here. Um, when you figured it all out, I don't know how, how deep we want to go into this. And I'm actually going to write an article at some point. But when you sort it just for the total in the end, the average turnover differential or advanced turnover differential, we'll call it. The worst team in the league is the Giants at minus 26. And some big numbers that stand out for them is they failed on fourth down 17 times. And their turnover margin was also the worst in the league to begin with. So there, there's something to be said for that. The Bengals and Panthers tie at 30. They were both minus 22 in this regard. Uh, the, the Dolphins were minus 20. The Chargers were minus 18. The Eagles were minus 12. And the Jets were minus 10. Those were all the double-digit negatives when I, when I, when I got my conclusions here. The positive ones, the Patriots were at one, and they also had the the best turnover, traditional turnover differential in the league, which is funny because they were plus 21. Like if you go to NFL.com and look turnover differential, they were plus 21. And then after all this, they ended up plus 21. So fourth downs and field goals all added up to be the same for them. Uh, The Chiefs were second. 
The Vikings were third, tied with the Saints. The Ravens and Packers were fifth, tied together. Seahawks were seventh at plus 15. Buffalo at plus 11. Your Niners and my Steelers, coincidentally, were both plus 10. So those were the teams all tied, all in the positive. And Steelers are a good example. I mean, like, they had no offense, and they still were competitive. Ended up being a 500 team because their defense was creating turnovers. And your Niners are a good example. Like, I'm sure you talked so much last offseason. The Niners had two interceptions last year. I mean, that's one of the most crazy crazy statistics I've heard. Yeah. That was bound to come back to the mean. But the defense was also a lot better and made it happen. Right, yeah. A lot, a lot better pass rush helped the DBs out. And it was just one of those unlucky things that we talked about with turnovers. I mean, even a bad football team is going to have more than two interceptions. They just didn't get the ball thrown to them. And sometimes... That happens, and the 49ers this year missed a ton of field goals earlier in the year. Robbie Gold got hurt, and they had some problems with they had four different long snappers throughout the season. So that's something that added to that actually brought that number down, and, and probably should be even a little bit higher for the 49ers overall. And your Steelers are interesting because it's the first team on the list here that didn't have double digit wins, even though they were near the top in this advanced turnover differential, which just goes to show you they were a quarterback away from being a really good football team. And they already did a pretty good job at finishing eight and eight. Yeah, right. I mean, they were so defense and pretty good on special teams. They were much better this year. I mentioned Boswell to start the season. Their offense was just so abysmal, especially the last month of the season where it was obvious Duck Hodges is not an NFL player. Um, So even I've said this on the air too on my Steelers show, like, I think Eli Manning is shot, but if the Steelers had Eli Manning this year, they would have gone to the playoffs, you know, like just a professional quarterback to get him in and out of the huddle, to know where to go, where the blitz is coming from, the audible to line of scrimmage. Like Rudolph was okay at that. Duck had no, no chance. So one thing I did while you were chatting there, I mentioned that opponent missed field goals is the one that's lucky to me, you know, like, again, I, I can't, Maybe I block a kick. Maybe I pressure you once or twice throughout the year. But some teams got luckier than others in that category. And it's a bit of a red flag for a couple teams. There was three teams that had the opponent miss 10 field goals. And that was the Chargers. And they ended up 28th in this, even with that gift. I mean, that's scary. And we talked about Rivers replacing Winston. Is it going to be better? Bills and Seahawks, and they ended up seventh and eighth in this this category, and makes me wonder, maybe they're a little inflated. You know, the Seahawks and Bills both were playoff teams, but are they loaded rosters? I mean, they had a little bit of luck on their side, is all I'm saying. The Bills Mafia and Seahawks fans don't come hunt me down. I'm just reading numbers. The Browns were another one that were high on that list of we're fortunate that a lot of teams missed field goals against them. And so were the Panthers, Giants, and Dolphins, who were all 30 or 29 or worse when it was all said and done. So that's disheartening. If you're the Chargers, Panthers, Giants, Dolphins, you were at the bottom of the league and you had a lot of field goals missed in your favor. So that's frightening. And then a couple of the the, the unlucky teams that didn't have field goals missed, which the Saints and Patriots only had two and as well as the Colts and your Niners only had three. So some of these best teams in the league, the Ravens, all these ones are near the top that were, didn't get the benefit of a lot of opponent missed field goals. They were legit as could be then, you know what I mean? The Ravens, the Niners, the Saints, the Patriots, they all had four or fewer 
So they didn't get any gifts. The Seahawks is the one that jumps out because they won the yeah. most close games, too. They had a ton of right, games that right. were three-point games, and they had 10 field goals missed uh, in their favor, which is very interesting. And Bills, similarly, are, are built to win you know, more of a conservative style and win those close football games, and both those teams really benefited from that sort of a game script. I'm interested in the fourth down thing because the Ravens went for fourth downs more than anybody, yet they still only failed seven times. And I look at a team like the New York Giants who failed 17 times on fourth downs, but fourth downs are different. A lot of Ravens fourth downs were fourth and two or one yard. A lot of Giants fourth downs were probably, well, this game's over. We got to chuck it because we were forced to go for it on fourth and and long or something like that. So I would like to see uh, just a little bit of an additional a bit of statistics here that showed how often teams went for it on fourth down, so maybe fourth down percentage, just to bring this all together, and then also what that down and distance was on fourth, on, on fourth down that made them go for it. Were they being aggressive, trying to keep drives alive like the Ravens were, which they were very good at all year long, or a team like the Giants that was probably throwing from behind? Yeah, that, that's a great conversation, and it's also above my pay grade in terms of how to figure that out. <laughs> but I do have some ideas for that. And before I do, I just want to mention one thing. I mentioned that... <clears throat> Those that the Seahawks, Bills, and Chargers were very fortunate in that they had 10 field goals missed. Well, that just happened to be the same number of most that a specific team missed on their own, and that was Dallas and Tennessee. So that's a pretty reasonable number to be on the high end of the spectrum. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, somebody, I need to talk to Warren Sharp or Cynthia Freeland or somebody that's truly mathematic and knows what the heck they're talking about and can do more than add and subtract. Because I think I've always thought this with turnovers too, that depending where the yard line that you started and maybe the game situation, some turnovers should be weighted heavier than others. I mean, if it's the end of the half and you're throwing a Hail Mary and gets picked off, who cares? If it's third and 20 and you have an arm punt, that's not the same as, you know, a, a big sack on third down and one or in your own end or in the red zone. And the same is true for your fourth down conversation, which is a great point is, hey, if it's fourth and eight and I'm down 28, I got nothing to lose. And and my chances of success there are low anyway. And I have a feeling that you would see a correlation with the teams that went for it on fourth and short and being aggressive were probably some of the better teams. And uh, I mean, I just think that that's something that's really going to take over the league. And and teams and and coaches are uh, a little bit slow to come around to that sort of an idea and being super aggressive. But basically fourth and two, we're going to start seeing teams, I think, go for it more and more when the analytics really start driving that point home. You see a team like the Ravens that continually get those, and it helped them quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. So in the end, I would love to give these numbers to an analytics expert, and they could weight every one of them based on situation. And in the end, you'd get a final score, you know, of, you know, and again, if you try a field goal at the end of the first half, it's a 65-yarder does that really hurt you the same mm-hmm. as, you know, fourth and one, you decide to kick it and you bounce it off the upright on the 30 in the middle of the game. Great point. If somebody wants to see this visualized and read the article about it, do you have a, a time frame or where that might go up? Uh, not yet. I'm, I've been writing for a giant site on Super Bowl Nation, and I did this and just mentioned to them, hey, you're last. And they're like, oh, write something up about it. So, I, I will kind of go into more detail through a giant's lens soon. And I'm sure I could, again, I'm I'm a, an addition and subtraction type analytics expert here. <laughs> I'm sure there's somewhere that myself or Sando could 
to could put this chart for everyone to see because he also has a wins loss a winning percentage and has them all ranked here too and not coincidentally the best teams end up with the best advanced turnover differential absolutely there's absolutely a correlation here okay Matt, good stuff. We're out of time. Let's do it again tomorrow. We've got tons to get into. The offseason continues. I'm sure rumors will continue to leak out of front offices, smoke screens, draft talk. Uh, Free agency is upon us just about as is the NFL Combine. It's going to be a lot of fun this offseason, and we'll talk about it every day right here. Locked on NFL.